Well, I'm excited that that today the time has come for us to return to our study through the Gospel of Luke. I opened it up to find out where we had left off. And crazy, it was the parable of the persistent widow from Luke chapter 18. A call to desperate prayer. See what God's doing? And so the artwork we're going to put up here, thanks to Molly Smallwood for putting this together for us. It is a depiction of the little children coming to Jesus and him blessing them, except it's turned upside down because, as we know, the Gospel of Luke turns our world upside down. Antioch kids and servants, before you are dismissed, I want to give you a morsel, and here's what I thought of today. Everybody puts emphasis on what the preacher gets up here and says, but we are to exhort one another in love. And so the words that you speak to one another are just as important. So speak life to one another and receive life from one another. And as you go to your classes, servant leaders, maybe there's something that you will speak or something that you will hear that you need to receive today. There's your morsel. All right, you may be dismissed to go to your classes, kiddos. Servants, we say to you, you are sent. Young disciples, there are sermon guides right over here on the table if you need those to follow along. Well, church, as they are moving, I would invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18. Young disciples, you'll need to write down that passage, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. You can find that on page 877 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. Today, I want to talk about the Christian call to prayer. Young disciples, you need that word Christian. And I'm going to talk about it in two parts over the next two Sundays. I want to walk us through the parable and then draw out two very simple applications that are taken directly from the very first verse. First of all, don't stop praying. And second of all, don't give up. And so with that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. And if you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Church, hear the word of the Lord. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. By her continual coming. And the Lord said. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God. Give justice to his elect. Who cry to him. Day and night. Will he delay long over them. I tell you. He will give justice to them. Speedily. Nevertheless. When the son of man comes. Will he find faith on the earth. Church the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So one of the most jarring experiences of traveling in the Middle East is the sound of the Adan. That is the Muslim call to prayer. 
Five times each day, a muezzin proclaims this prayer, which is then broadcast loudly from speakers in the top of a minaret, that is, the tower of the mosque. The sound then fills the neighborhood, reminding those who aren't already gathered at the mosque to stop and to bow and to recite the same prayer together. And so I'll never forget the experience of hearing the Adan for the first time in Amman, Jordan. And not just from one mosque, but from multiple mosques where it echoed throughout the city. And one of those five prayers actually takes place right before dawn. And one time I was staying at a friend's house who lived literally right next door to a mosque. And so, talk about a blaring wake-up call, one morning... I didn't know it, but the pre-dawn prayer is the only one with an extra line. The extra line says this, prayer is better than sleep. It's like, okay, I learned that real quick, obviously. And so you've got to admit, this kind of devotion to prayer is pretty challenging to us as Christians. I mean, how many of y'all stop and pray five times a day? Let alone bow your face to the ground and lift your hands in worship, no matter who sees you do it. But of course, for those who are in Christ, there is no requirement to pray in order to have merit with God. We don't have to recite a creedal prayer together in order to be part of the faith community. We don't have to broadcast the superiority of our faith in order to have saving faith. But is that a good reason for us to be prayerless as Christians? And if not prayerless, then inconsistent and ineffective. No, we ought to be the most prayerful people on the planet. Therefore, Luke has words for us today that flow directly from Jesus Christ himself. Where we last left off in November, Jesus was teaching his disciples about the end times, the period in between his first coming And his second coming. And we are living in those end times right now. And this would be a time, this is a time of great difficulties. And those disciples, he knew, would long to see just one day of Jesus' return. But they would have to wait. To wait for the day of judgment that he describes with these morbid words. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And yet, strangely, like these are meant to be comforting words on some level to the Christian. Why? Because the longer a Christian waits in a world that isn't what God intended it to be, the more he or she wants Jesus to come and make all things right forever. No more infant leukemia. No more devastating earthquakes. No more house fires that kill our neighbors on Palatka Road. No more ailing and dying parents. No more abortion or desperate mothers. No more persecuted church. We do well to lament these things and to cry out more and more. Come, Lord Jesus. Y'all remember that sermon? Okay. It was a while back we talked about the more you grow in Christ, the longer you're a Christian, the more you say these three words. Come, Lord Jesus. We long to see just one day of Jesus return, but we will have to wait. 
So what do we do in the meantime? That's the question. And Jesus tells us, and he continues teaching this way. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Prayer is the answer. Prayer is what we are to do in the meantime. Prayer is how we wait well and participate in the kingdom and be found ready when he comes. And so what Jesus gives us here today in the parable and in next week's parable is how we should pray. First of all, persistently. And second of all, humbly. The first of those parables begins in verse 2. Read it with me. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So here's the setup. There is a terrible judge, young disciples. He's not a good man. You need that for your guide. And there's a helpless widow. And the judge is terrible because, firstly, he doesn't fear God. If governing authorities are instituted by God to deliver justice to the people, and they don't revere God or his law, then there's only so much good that they can do, and often very much bad that they do instead. Secondly, this judge is terrible because he is no respecter of man, we are told. That means he could care less what people think. This is a man who has the power and the persona to do whatever he wants without conscience. He is at the top of the food chain. But the widow, she is at the bottom. Not only was she among the most vulnerable people in the society... She had an adversary attacking her in some way, which often happens when you're vulnerable in society. She had no family to protect her, no money for legal counsel, and no social standing to pressure the judge into acting. She is the picture of absolute helplessness. But here's what she did have. Desperate persistence. She just kept pleading to the judge... For justice. Okay, so think of it like this. How many of you have seen or are fans of the show Big Bang Theory? Anybody? You can admit it in church. I know you watch it. Some of you watch it. Okay? All right? So, there's this character named Sheldon. Y'all know Sheldon? And when he knocks on the door of his neighbors, y'all remember how it goes? Like this. Leonard. 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 Leonard, until Leonard opens the door, right? You may not want to see Sheldon for the life of you, but you're going to open that door. Why? To get him to leave you alone. That's the almost comical sense that we get from the judge in response to the widow's persistence. Look at verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, hear the sigh from this guy. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, I'm just going to admit it. I don't. I don't care. Like I have nothing on me to deal with this woman. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. All right, young disciples, you need that. He listened because she kept bothering him. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
So the judge could care less about this woman. Like, he doesn't want to see her. He doesn't want to open the door of justice to her. But there she is every day. Judge, 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 judge. Oh, just leave me alone. This woman is going to give me a black eye. That's what the language literally means there. He is going to knock me out with her annoyance. Just leave me alone. But then here's the crazier part of this parable. Jesus says in verse 6, And the Lord said, No, 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 not, not listen to what the widow said. No, no, hear what the unrighteous judge says. The teaching method is upside down here. So, so wait a minute on this. Is Jesus saying that God is like the terrible judge? That he could care less about you, but if you just keep annoying him, he'll give you what you want, so you just leave him alone? Is that what he is saying in this passage? Anybody? Good. Good answer. No, he is not saying that at all. And see, this is why we must read parables closely and ask for the Holy Spirit's insight and for the communal insight of the body of believers in order to understand them, because we can get sideways with them real quick. The teaching method that Jesus uses here goes like this. If this, then how much more this? If the unrighteous judge will answer the desperate widow, then how much more will the heavenly father answer his beloved children? And so thus we come to our first application today. Don't stop praying. And disciples, you need that word, praying. Jesus says, if the terrible judge gave justice, then, verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So here is the confidence of our prayers, y'all. Even when in all appearances they are not being answered. Here's our confidence. First, unlike the terrible judge, God is the righteous judge. Like, he doesn't just revere justice. Like, he wrote the law book, okay? And second, God is a respecter of man. He has the power to care less what sinful people think. But he has the persona to care much and to give justice. And third, God is especially mindful of his elect. This is a word that's used in Scripture To describe the people that God has chosen to know him and to serve him. And for them, he has already literally given everything. Even the death of his own son. So that they could be justified. That is made just. So why would he not give them justice in lesser matters? And the Apostle John puts it this way. To me, this is some of the most amazing words about prayer. In the whole Bible. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's good news. The more you grow in Christ, the more you understand his word, the more you walk with brothers and sisters of the faith, the better you understand his will, what he wants. And you, you pray, your heart matches up with what he wants. And that's what you're praying. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. What? You already have it, he says. Guaranteed. If you're 
praying according to his will. Wow! Would that change how you pray if you believed that? And so what should that lead us to? Like to shoot off a one-liner prayer and call it a day? Check that box off in the morning or at night? No way, Jesus implies that it should lead us to cry to him day and night. Yes, that we should be persistent, but also that we should be desperate. I had a friend one time, single woman, and her car broke down. And it literally became one of the hardest experiences of her life. Now, didn't take long to fix the car, maybe a week or so. But for that week, she didn't have her car. Why in the world would something as simple as this be one of the hardest experiences for this woman? Because she had to ask for rides. That's it. That simple. As Americans, in a culture that is literally built on autonomy such that you have your own vehicle that takes you not just across the street but across town and across the state and across the country, for you to not be able to drive yourself means you have lost your autonomy, your independence, and you are now dependent on others. And you know what? As sinful human beings, especially those that are living in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, we do not like to be desperate at all. And this was why it was hard for her. This is why we don't want to ask for help when we are in terrible need. It takes humility, perhaps humiliation. And this is why we don't want to fast and pray. Do you know what fasting is? Desperate prayer. That's all it is. It's a, it's a homesickness for heaven. It's saying, I, I, I want you, God, more than I want food. And if you've ever fasted, you realize real quick how much you want food, <laughs> right? And I've had to ask myself, in light of these invisible walls that I described earlier that it seems like is around Antioch, am I really desperate to see God move the way that he's been moving at Asbury this week? Am I, am I willing to lay down my structure, my organization, and just let God do what he wants to do? It may not look like what I think it should look like. Are we as a church desperate enough to actually fast and pray together through Lent? Or is it going to be something I say today? We shoot off a one-liner and it's over. Now at this point, you might rightly say something like this. When I know that I have been desperately praying but still nothing visible happens. What does that mean? When you've been praying for a lost loved one and they die. When you've been asking for the life of a child and it miscarries. When you're pleading for release from a thorn in the flesh but God says no. When you're crying out, come, Lord Jesus. But he doesn't come. Here is the great temptation to stop praying. But also here is the answer that Jesus gives in the rest of verse 7. When the elect cry out day and night, Jesus says, will God delay long over them? 
I tell you, and you can take this to the bank if Jesus tells you, he will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. And this is the truth that I want you to see, and for some of you, this may be the most important truth of this message. As desperate as you may be to see something made right, God is more desperate to make it right. Now, some of you didn't like that because you're like, you call my God desperate. He's not desperate for anything. He's God. Well, just listen to me and don't get caught up in semantics, okay? Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. You hear some desperation in there? How gracious he will be when he hears your cry for help. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. But if I'm honest, and I try to be, when I read this, I go, really, Jesus? Speedily? Bro, it's been like uh, 2,000 years. Now you're like, Brad, are you getting sassy with Jesus right now? Well, if I'm sassy, then I'm in good company, okay? Because, listen to what my brothers and sisters in the faith say in the book of Revelation. These are the people who have been martyred for their faith. And as they stand before God in heaven, they cried out with a loud voice. Now, I get this picture that these people, they got together, okay? They got together, and they're like, all right, we haven't gotten his attention so far. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to create this mantra, and we're all going to say it together as loud as we possibly can. And that'll get his attention. All right, so here we go. They cried in a loud voice. Right, let's, let's start with something nice so it doesn't sound too bad. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. God's like, okay. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're saying the same thing. Speedily? I died for this faith. They did too. And there's people down there dying. You're not doing anything. This is not speedily. How long? And then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. How can that be speedy justice? I mean, murderers are going around unpunished and more of the elect are going to be taken out. This is our reality in the end times. We're not feeling it right now in our culture, but it's coming. And it only makes sense if we see things according to God's timetable instead of our own. The Apostle Peter speaks to this powerfully in his second letter to suffering saints. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord him one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day you say two thousand years he says a couple of days the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness people who are looking at their own timetable count it slowness but on his timetable he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance You say, that sounds really nice, but I need justice. I'm hurting. Well, it meant a lot to you when before you came to know Christ, God was still patient. He was waiting on you. And now he's waiting on others. 
But listen to this, there's a turn. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, justice served in a moment. And so we have this principle. When justice comes, it will come speedily, instantly. And it's like the woman in the anguish of labor who immediately forgets it all when her baby is born. When Jesus returns, immediately the anguish will be over. And we won't even remember it. We won't even think about it. So what are you to do in the meantime while you wait? That's the question. Whatever you do, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. And that has direct impact on Jesus' final words and our application from it this morning. Don't give up. Young disciples, you need that phrase. Give up. Don't give up. We read this at the end of the passage, which honestly at first kind of seems like it's just dangling there. This is verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, part of why this seems dangling is because it serves as a transitional statement between the two parables. The second parable, which we'll learn about next week, is going to talk about where we put our faith when we pray. Do we put it in God or do we put it in ourselves? And if prayer is meant to help us while we're waiting, then where we put our faith in the meantime will determine where our faith is when Jesus returns. You don't just switch it all of a sudden. Oh, now I believe he's coming with the clouds. Too late. And so Jesus' question for you is, where is your faith? In other words, what exactly are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the real person, Jesus Christ, to return in power? Are you waiting for him to save the elect forever? And here's an interesting one. Are you waiting for him to judge the unjust forever? Now, of course, we should reflect our Father's patient heart, not wanting any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. And yet at the same time, to pray desperately for all things to be made right naturally includes the removal of all things wrong. The hatred of injustice. Now, the imprecatory psalms are supposed to make us uncomfortable. You know what I mean by the imprecatory psalms? Those ones, like the one that the psalmist says, uh, being happy to see the babies of his enemies dashed against the rocks, right? wonder what that one's going to be like to preach someday. It's awkward. And they make us uncomfortable, and they should. Of course, we don't long for that as Christians. But you know what we can long for? That our true adversary, Satan... And all his demons, down to the littlest ones, be dashed against the flaming rocks of hell forever. You can desire that. You know, in in the church, like, we don't know what to do with our anger, so we just stuff it down until it explodes on the people we love. But what if the anger that you have within you could be channeled toward righteous indignation toward your adversary, Satan, and all his punk demons? And you want them to be destroyed forever. You want them to be despised in the way that Jesus despised them on the cross. 
I think that's possible. Why? Because we love God and we love his people and we love his creation and we want them to be set free from their bondage to suffering and death and corruption. And so are you waiting for that is the question that I'm asking today. My friends, there are many who pray, who even call themselves Christians, who will not be found waiting for that when Jesus comes again. You see, Jesus will come looking for those who have been looking for him. It's not about then, it's about right now. And so don't give up. Don't say, well, he's not answering now, so why would I even care about the future? No, no. The writer of Hebrews says this. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Y'all, we are right at pre-dawn. And so hear the blaring wake-up call. Prayer is better than sleep. The Son of Man is coming. Don't be found asleep. He says, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour this night? Where does that come from? Anybody sound familiar to you? Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. Where at? In the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane on the night before Jesus' crucifixion. What kind of prayer did he plead with his closest friends to have? Intercede for me so that I will be rescued from this death. No, that's not what he asked his friends to do. The kind of prayer that he pled with them to pray with him was persistent prayer. And how did they respond? Everybody fell asleep. And if we were there, y'all, we would have done the same thing. We are sinful people who don't like to be desperate. We spiritually fall asleep even though the weight of eternity is speedily coming upon us. We are not persistent by nature. But you know who didn't fall asleep? Only one. Only one who said prayer really is better than sleep. Only one who was found ready when the judgment of God fell. Jesus Christ. Let's admire him together, church. I'm going to preach him to you. You ready? How scandalous is this? Unto Jesus Christ, God the righteous judge appears almost like the terrible judge. He served justice on the one who didn't deserve it in order to give justice to the ones who didn't deserve it. And Jesus, like the persistent widow, continues in desperate prayer. Like he's crying out in faith from the cross. Just like he's now crying out in intercession for the elect from the right hand of God. And then buried in a tomb, what's he doing? He's waiting well. And he's found ready when the righteous judge raises him from the dead. Hebrews 5 tells us, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverence? Jesus knows what it's like to be desperately praying and yet still nothing visible happens. To cry out for life, but to still get death. Like he knows what it's like to trust that he's been heard. Even though the answer will come later and after a whole lot of pain. He is the perfect and only savior for you. He's the only one to give you justice over your adversaries of sin and Satan and death. And yes, as the writer of Hebrews says, when Jesus comes looking for those who have been looking for him and he finds people that have shrunk back, his soul will have no pleasure in them and there will not be time to change that. But for those who follow Jesus, who have this persistent Savior living inside them, the writer of Hebrews continues, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. No, no, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls that's who we are in christ he was persistent so that you can be persistent that's all i'm saying today in the power in the name of jesus christ and so antioch church let's have faith and preserve our souls in this lent season let's prepare our hearts for easter for god to revive our lives And our church. And you might say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not in a season to do that. Well, why not? Are you too busy to pray? Are you too proud to fast? Too skeptical of Asbury to get in on what God's doing and maybe experience some of it here? Friends, this is the Christian call to prayer. Far superior By its very nature. Not because you have to do it in order to have merit with God. Not in order to be part of the faith community. Not in order to broadcast the superiority of our faith. But because we want to wait well. And participate in the kingdom. And be found ready when he comes. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. He did something really special, meaningful, that can help us to persist in our prayers. He took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant. By the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread. And you drink from this cup. You're announcing the Lord's death. Until he returns. Church today. We are announcing straight from Romans 8.33. That no one will bring any charge against God's elect. Because it is God. Who justifies. Our invitation here today. If you're a baptized believer. Is to come forward persisting in prayer with a heart that's open to God, hearing from him and speaking back to him your desire to see him come again even as you take this and proclaim that he really is real and he really is coming. Dip, take, take off the bread and dip it into the juice, remembering what he's done for you, proclaiming what he will do. And if you're here today and you're not 
A baptized believer? Man, what an opportunity. You're in the right place. You might have been in bed today not hearing this good news, but it's the best news you could hear. Turn to Jesus today. Stop with the excuses. None of them are worth anything. Turn to Christ. Put your faith in him. Turn away from your old life. Say, here it is. I got this crown. I want to put it on you, Jesus. Now you tell me what to do with my life. Do that today. And if you need help doing that, there are going to be pastors and people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Somebody may need healing prayer here today. Oh, but we're Baptists. We don't believe in that. Spirit doesn't move in that way anymore. Really? Happened in my life. Whose life is it going to happen in in this church? Because not only do we pray over somebody like we're supposed to, but we actually believe that God would heal when we pray. Who's going to come back here today who has something going on in their life that they cannot fix in their own strength, and they're going to invite people to pray and God move in such a way that even if the situation doesn't change, buddy, they change. Who's going to come back today boldly like that? And maybe that, maybe you will be the very person that kicks off a movement in this church that's unlike anything that's happened in 13 years at Antioch. I don't know. May the Lord do what he wants to do in this moment. Join with me in that spirit. It's it's going to take more than me. It's going to take more than pastors. We in this together. Let's pray, church. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for your mighty word. Thank you for the, the irony, the divine irony that we would open up Luke's gospel where we left off, and here it is, the parable of the persistent widow calling us to desperate prayer, even as revival is breaking out nearby, even in our own state. Thank you for that divine irony that Lent kicks off this week, and Lent is a historic call for Christians to pray and to fast, to prepare their hearts through repentance in order to be renewed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. To be found ready so that when Easter Sunday arrives, we are pumped. And we are holding out the good news of Jesus to ourselves and to one another and to those who don't know him. Lord, I pray that you would help me to know as a pastor how to just get out of the way and let you do what you want to do. And I pray that we as a church would be responsive to your spirit in these moments. That you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.